people think you think of you or how they think of you and how no two people think the same thing of one person. I also love the absurd, so like some whack. There's some weird people out there and so how can you portray them in a realistic manner but also show that this is out of worldly. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's beautiful, you can uh, describe someone as out of worldly and their behavior is out of worldly and they are in the world they're and, they're, and they're operating in that way and they're... Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just how they fit into society or don't. Or, yeah, absolutely. Or how a community Embrace, em embraces, embraces them. them yeah. That's who they are. Yeah, I lost the thread of where we were going with that, but uh, the, oh, the, the West Coast. I'm Emily Kyle and this is Local. This is a conversation with Melbourne-based multidisciplinary artists. Oliver Moyer and Nat Phillips. This episode was recorded in February during the launch of their collaborative film event. Sniff. The boys were also engaging with the QBank residency program at the time. We usually start by talking about what it was like for you guys growing up. You know, usually when we have one person that we're speaking to, we start at the beginning of their life and what their childhood was like and go on from there. But you guys have known each other for a really long time. How old were you when you met? Ooh, I don't actually know what age I was when we met, but... Because Nat was yeah. close friends with my older brother, Charlie. And you guys would have met in prep. Yeah, so when I was six. And I would have been three. Yeah. So. Um, we probably went. Probably around that time, I'd say we would have yeah. met, but I mean, we didn't really. I'd say we would have be, would have actually had conscious kind of experience with one another, what, playing hockey or something. Yeah. Probably, which playing, is another 10 years later. 10, ten years later, yeah. So once we played, started playing sport together and then, yeah. and then I suppose um, we've always known each other though. It's not like it's been an unfamiliar face around the house or anything. So we also, yeah. we lived, what, 100 metres away from each other for 10 years. So I would have been around at Ollie's house quite a lot. His house was always way more interesting than mine. <laughs> Why? So, what, was, what was it about oh, Ollie's house? We had backyard cricket going there. We had, that's right. Um, roller hockey in the laneway because oh, yeah. their laneway was concrete. Our laneway was uh, cobblestone, so you can't really play hockey in the laneway there. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. I don't know. Everyone just seemed to go back to your place after school, so not, yeah. not anywhere else. There's a whole bunch of us. Yeah. Big backyard, yeah. big grassy kind of area. Yeah. Did your, um, did your mum make snacks? Uh, mum was Mum did make snacks, yeah, <laughs> but I, mean, I think... She went back to work when I was five or something. Yeah. Once I went into school and so Charles and Nat and I'd say my older brother would all kind of just walk home from school together. You had your little gang. Yeah, we had our, yeah, <laughs> on, our, on our JD Razors. Yeah. <laughs> on those little scooters. On those little scooters. Yeah. So how long did you live close to one another? And this is in Melbourne? This is in Melbourne, yeah. Yeah. Probably close on... 15 years yeah. maybe. Wow. So I only moved down there just before I started prep yeah. um, from Townsville in Queensland. And then we did all our schooling together, primary school, then high school, all living in the same place. And then, you know, once we finished school, everyone spreads out a bit. Yeah. But we're still in Melbourne, so for at least the first couple of years. So Yeah, while well, we're doing university and stuff, I guess. Did you go to uni together? No, and that was a few years ahead of me. And then I also did, I also took a gap year and took a couple of years off through that kind of university period, but we were both in Melbourne for university. So when did the two of you diverge? So you're still sort of in inner city Melbourne and Ollie goes, oh, Ollie, Nat goes a bit more rural. When did that kind of happen? Uh, maybe six years ago or so, I... Uh, I was pretty disillusioned with the city and realised I had not much direction there and I didn't want to be there. And I headed out to live at a rock climbing crag in Western Victoria without an end date, really, um, with my partner at the time. We just hung out there for maybe four months and then oh, did some... amazing. Yeah, did some house sitting for the rest of the year in random locations. Um, one was in the middle of a rainforest and 
you know, an hour from the nearest town and that was quite an isolating experience where I started to draw basically and paint. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's probably when you started. Yeah. I mean I'd always doodled through school and stuff, but um that was when I first actually had the time set aside to draw more consistently and develop a style and then uh, there was never any intention to show anyone the works, but somebody saw them and said we should just put on an exhibition. So Really? Yeah. When did that happen? Where, where was it? So that was down in the Otway Ranges. We held um, a friend from uni came down to visit and so did another one. And we held a bit of an artist weekend because we all sort of enjoyed drawing and exploring and painting and whatever. And we we chose to do a sort of a try to look at how fatigue affects creativity in your own practice. So we slept for about three hours in 70 hours um, over a 70-hour period and it became quite, uh, yeah, ridiculous. And yeah. But it was a lot was created in that time yeah. and um, it was pretty amazing. But after that, um, yeah, we decided to put together an exhibition only about a, a month or two later. Um, Did the work start yeah. to deteriorate? the the more exhausted you became or did it get better? Yeah, we noticed that tiredness wasn't good if you're doing something quite, um, you know, particular or fine details. Mm, so um, we'd often have, you know, a couple of works on the go, one that's just a very free-flowing um, splattering of paint or just drawing and then and maybe another one that's much more focused later. Did you do anything to offset the fatigue? Did you just, like, inject yourself with caffeine and coffee? And... Um, yeah, we had lots of coffee. Um, from from my days of um, I've done a lot of 24-hour navigation events, so I knew um, sort of how the brain operates and how it can fatigue um, if you're not fueling it right, so um, making sure we're eating consistently basically and just really regularly eating so that the brain and drinking so the brain didn't really so it always had fuel so it wasn't wasn't lagging behind basically um thinking about sort of fatigue and making work when we were at cuba the other night you were talking ollie was talking about your um a couple of your works one a film of yours with your music, I think, uh, where you're doing the twist. Yeah. And you were saying that <clears throat> that was um, taken over an extended period of time where you'd been twisting for, like, did you say, how long was that? Yeah, so it was about 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. And so I just had a camera rolling for 25 to 30 minutes and I'd just twist the entire way through. And by the end of it, my legs just burnt. I couldn't do I couldn't couldn't move, couldn't do anything. The twist just hurt every time I'd do it. You watch the comparison between the first five minutes where I'm really into it and my hands are doing all the gestures to go with it, the flicking and the snap of the fingers. And then by the end, it's just like agony running through my face with every like joining yeah. of the legs. You look in the beginning, you look so enthusiastic and yeah. so happy. And then there's this horrible moment at the end where you're just like, you give up. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it actually does. Yeah, slide off the camera. I was like, fuck this. <laughs> Very funny. Um, yeah, that was interesting. It was a good experience. I, was, I thought I was going to be able to go for longer, but it's a really, really exhausting thing. And then you kind of remember back to weddings when you go and you go hard on like the dance floor at weddings. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, you sit down in a chair, you're just sweating. You're like, oh, that was fun. And then you get back up half an hour later after a few more drinks and a shot or something. So it's kind of in that line of it. Um, yeah, that was that was an exhausting that was an exhausting thing on my legs. And that um, that video, that film is part of a three part film series. Yeah, or? so that's a part of a three part series. One's um, if only I could. It's, it's called If Only I Can and Oh If Only I Could and it's If Only I Could Twist. If Only I Could Sing and that has me miming a Lorraine Eliasson song, um, in a beautiful gown. Oh, that. It blush pink yeah. dress. It's yeah. just perfect. Yeah, some dirty makeup. Um, 
and then uh, the third one I haven't released yet. Um, I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, it needed some work. I finished, I kind of got somewhere through it and it was going to be a magic trick, but I didn't really like where I was heading. And I wanted to use an animal, but I didn't really have an animal that I could use. And oh, so... the moment you said a magic trick, I, I straight away went to the idea of the white dove. Yeah. Just... Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I was more thinking like bunny out of a hat. Sort of thing, oh. but, but I don't have a rabbit and it's not... Well, there's plenty of rabbits around here. I'm sure there are, yeah. Just got to catch one. Yeah, it's not <laughs> possible. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm, that, that I, at some point I'll, like, maybe get onto that, but we'll see. Yeah, it's a really cool series. Yeah, cool, thanks. Yeah. yeah. So, talking about your different mediums, you're both incredibly different. Um, I've seen some of Nat's installation work and his drawings and then your um, film and your music you just released an album do you mm. want to talk about your album? Oh uh, yeah for sure um, so I just started a record label um, called Funeral OST so Funeral Original Soundtrack um, and the idea is to get musicians to make music for their own funerals and then funerals of the material and the material so it can kind of be anything really um, I kind of wanted to leave it as open as possible. but um, So the album I made was a, a four-track album for my own funeral and it's kind of, it's not really suggested of being like a regular funeral. It's more just kind of different things and different reflections or different different kind of sounds that I feel reflect me um, and how the sort of music that I would like to be played at my funeral um, and the sort of remembrance of who I am. So... That's kind of where I'm at, and I'm a tw- I like to, being 26. It's so I mean, it's maybe for then. That's what I'll have for the next 10 years, and maybe I'll come back to it in another 10 years, and I'll make another record. That's oh, maybe, I like that. It's probably evolving. Your, your your music taste changes, your opinion of yourself changes. Like a sound <laughs> capsule. Pretty yeah yeah absolutely yeah okay. it's cool yeah so something like that. So um, yeah so in that kind of sense, I mean, it started out as being me making for my myself, and then I thought that the record label is a good idea, and so we've got a few releases coming out this year. The, oh, that's exciting! So yeah, we'll see how it goes. But the two of you have totally different creative backgrounds, but you've um, been able to come together for this event that you're holding um, through QBank. The, you, do you want to talk about? I don't want to give it away. You guys go. <laughs> yeah. So we're holding a short film festival, basically. We've called it Southern Nomads Independent Film Festival, or SNF for short. Um, uh, and the idea behind that name came from trying to showcase sort of regional townships with the idea that um, you could make a travelling film festival that could go around to different places um, and uh, sort of explore the local communities there but then by, by bringing in and showing what's happening in film in the area or within, you know, um, Tasmania, Victoria, um, southern parts of Australia. We both, yeah, we've both got sort of backgrounds in art installation and um, events and things like that. So... Uh, there's definitely potential for it to become more than just film. Um, you know, we could have, you know, live performances, more art type of things going on. But, yeah, at the moment it, we're holding it pretty small for the moment and, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you want to add it. Mm, I mean, we'd like to eventually build it up, I think, and whether or not we can kind of make it a re- mainstay in Queenstown and if it's an appropriate mm. thing. We get the opinion that it's kind of wanted. So we're just kind of hoping to see how it rolls. But we're both very open to the idea of maybe running every second year in Queenstown and then doing the other year in um, in a regional town in the South Australian kind of belt. Victoria. Victoria, yeah. maybe South Australia as well. Um, so, yeah, we're kind of open to seeing what happens. And I think we're both very open to letting it expand into more than just a film festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and because as you've just said, we're both... We're both very much into installation art and obviously Matt's got does his drawings, his paintings, and then there's my side of things, which is a bit more digital media. But I think the idea of eventually being able to expand it into something bigger would be great. But it's something that's very community-based. It wouldn't be based on us coming in and bringing our own kind of 
feel to it, we'd want to get a gauge for the for the town we're in before we move yeah. on, the, on the place we go to. Yeah. Absolutely. So um oh actually I have so many questions about it. It's difficult because like when we're recording the podcast, so try really hard for it to be this like meandering kind of talk that flows in all different directions but um with you guys it's a little bit different because there's two of you and um uh, yeah so what I find so fascinating about the film festival is just that yeah you're, you're absolutely right I think it is it is something that Queenstown specifically is um really embracing and, and wanting more for so for so long it's been that there's um pubs and that's what you've got and um, the paragon theater is doing so much um to encourage alternatives for um our culture lifestyle things in the evening uh usually the town is completely dead mm. we're not for you know the empire mm. and the railway mm. yeah I, I really like the idea of bringing some sense of culture into a space where it might be lacking, um, especially because, you know, cinemas are everywhere. Mm. You go somewhere rural mm. or isolated and it's just not something that you have access to. No, and it's not the cinema they've got, the Paragon, uh, it's one of the most beautiful Art Deco cinemas I've ever seen. It is. So it's amazing, it's amazing that it's being underused. Yeah. And it's been unused, underused for so long. So I think it's really... The la- in addition to that, the landscape around Queenstown alone is sensational. There's no reason why you can't find one of the many hundreds of buildings that have been abandoned in the 50-kilometre radius and turn that into a funhouse. Like, there's no reason. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's um, something else that I think is so interesting because when you were talking about different um, venues to potentially hold the film festival, you were t- talking about turning it a space mm. into something suitable. Um, the Paragon is amazing and it's there, so mm. it's great to utilise it. But I do really love the idea of um, coming in and transforming a space for, mm. you know, a 24-hour event or whatever. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I mean, what's that abandoned? Is it an abandoned hotel as you drive into town? Uh, it's like in that... Oh, down in um, Linda maybe. Yeah, there's this beautiful. Oh, that huge. Yeah, um, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, stone. Is it blue, blue stone. Is it blue stone? That's like a double story double. grave. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like. Trees growing in it. it yeah, it's all gutted yeah. out. And, yeah. Oh, that would be fantastic. So, yeah, I would love to. It's also in a very abandoned area from what I can remember. So the, I'd love to turn that into a video art and installation space for mm. an event one time. I think that would oh, be. Incredible. Um, it's not the easily, most easily accessible place, but it's, it's, it's noticeable as you drive in. You have to drive past it to get into town if you're coming from the south. I think the south is at the south, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that they, oh, don't quote me on it, but I, I do think that they, the town is dead. I don't think that there's anything. I think that there are a few people that live there, but there's there's limited um, water access. Like recently the government decided to um, shut off water access to, I think it was Gormanston. So they're effectively killing the town. Hmm. The people there, um, I think they got a payout, and um, but yeah, they've mm-hmm. decided to kill the town, uh, which I think is what they did with Linda. Wow, which is a shame. That was a shame. It's a bit of a history um, of that in the area, though. So yeah, it just blows my mind that um, a decision like that could be made to render a town finished. Yeah, it's finished. Mm. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Not adding to the economy, I don't know. There are a lot of little wombats there, so, <laughs> so you know, they're helpful. Yeah. Um, so when you're going through picking the films, are you looking specifically for um, Tasmanian-made films or films that are about the area or what are you looking for in your criteria? Uh, I mean, we'd love to have predominantly films from really close and about the area. Um, reality is that, you know, there's not 20 filmmakers right here making films in the area. Um, So we've prioritised Tasmanian and Victorian filmmakers um, 
I think we have maybe one or two from New South Wales, but they've um, the directors have sort of roots in Victoria or Tasmania. Um, so, yeah, we've got about a 50-50 split probably between Tassie and Victoria for this year's festival. Um, and some are really sort of up the northwest. So we've got um, stories from Ulverston, Longford. Um, Amazing. Yeah, so that's that's really nice. And then we've also got some, uh, yeah, documentaries from the wilderness places in Tassie as well. Yeah. And I- Which is great. So in your social media that there's um, a short doco about Kit Bennett. Yeah. Yeah, who has done great work here. Mm. Uh, also through QBank and he's been a part of Unconformity Festivals in the past, I think. So mm. it's amazing okay. to have that little tie-in. Mm. Yeah, we saw the film and knew that he'd done the uh, March fly out in the old bus depot and, yeah, thought that, um, you know, this year particularly we're not... We're not getting people from hugely, you know, not from far away to come to sniff this year but that much. Um, so a lot of the audience will be locals. And so they'll know Kit or at least they'll know his work yeah. from the from the location. Many of will have met him. So it's sort of nice to have that in there as a as a documentary. And mm. it's and it's a pretty fun film too. Yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. It's also there's an element of like, especially when it comes to choosing films, I think, or the films that we've chosen for the festival, um, we wanted to keep it very broad in terms of mm. what we chose. So there's some pretty white video art. Yeah, some interesting documentaries. Um, oh, you've got a great music video. Music video in there, narrative. There's some good narrative stuff in there. Um, there's a mockumentary in there that's great as well. <laughs> Um, so I think it's, I think when we came to choosing, we were like, we wanted to keep it open to as many things as possible as a way to get a kind of feed on what people actually kind of want to see. Yeah. Um, mm. is video art something people want to see on a big screen or is it better in a white cube gallery? Yeah. Yeah. So. I love that bringing something that would be, um, yeah, normally designated to a gallery space mm. and making it super accessible. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So uh, I think there's a bit of that about it. And so I think it's, yeah, keeping it as open as possible, especially for this first year. And then I think, I mean, as maybe it grows, we can kind of assess if there's a better angle to go about it or if we can kind of segment them separately rather than just doing it in the one venue. What I would really like to talk about is your installation work, Nat. Mm-hmm. Because yep. it's just completely blew my mind. Is it um, Null and Void? Null and Void, yeah. Um, Null and Void was a was bizarre. Um, so a collaborator and I, Matt, who I ran that fatigue workshop with that I was talking about, we've held three exhibitions together in Melbourne, all in sort of non-gallery spaces and converted the space to become the exhibition. And some of those spaces were continued to be used after the, the exhibition, others were you know, immediately returned to whatever they were before. Um, and and we wanted to do something like that on a larger scale. So, um, and, and branching out from Melbourne as well. And so we, and Matt had moved to Berlin at this stage. So we applied for a few residencies around Europe um, and the Middle East, and we had a lot to choose from. And we chose this one in, um, Northwest Transylvania in Romania, Northeast Transylvania, sorry, in the mountains. Turned out wasn't really a, um, an actual residency. It was sort <laughs> of like this one dude who wanted just, company. Just, well, it wasn't even in his house. He lived three hours away. He just like <laughs> put us up in this like sort of hotel thing. And there was no studio space, there was no workshop. Um, when we asked him about this, he's like, oh, yeah, you can paint on your balcony inside. Actually, don't paint inside because we don't want to get paint on the carpet and stuff. But you can paint outside, you know. That's your workshop. I'm like, okay, this is this is way different to what we were expecting. Anyway, we're, in the, we're miles away from anywhere and this town had quite a lot of a really interesting history from um, sort of Soviet occupation um it was huge uh sort of 
I don't know what you call it. It was a, it had a boom in the thirties as a, a town where all the communist workers, if they're getting sick, they'd go and rejuvenate. There's natural springs in the area and heaps and heaps of old mansion villas for people to stay in. With the collapse of the Soviet empire, no one came to this town anymore. And all those buildings have been falling apart for about 70 years. So there's 50 or more um, mansions, hotels, uh, hospitals, oh, wow. uh, old theatres, uh, old libraries. Just sitting there. Yeah, with like roofs caved in, staircases or sideways, trees growing in the middle of them, all in different stages of decay. And they're still owned by um, people, but um, they're too expensive to refurbish and they have to be refurbished in the identical manner unless they fully f- fall down. Anyway, we, we were looking for a space around to transform into a, uh, yeah, into a space a bit of a surreal landscape basically and reflect on the idea of growth and decay and how you can reuse things around because all these buildings had heaps of materials in them um, from terracotta tiles to sort of, oh, we found a chemistry lab that was just full of like glass flasks <laughs> and porcelain hmm. bits and bobs and all this like communist banners and I was, yeah. That sounds um, incredible. I've just like. Yeah, we there's sort of. There's a side of me that's really hoping that there's, um, like, oh, discontinued chemicals and things that are, like, they decided <laughs> were really dangerous in the 30s and we can't use anymore at all. It's a pretty incredible location. Um, anyway, we, so we, we found this huge, it was about a 15-metre high ceiling, this old water heating factory. It heated all the water for the town and then sent it out in pipes to people's houses to heat them. And it also ran the, the laundry and it had concrete floor that was about a foot thick in rubble and dust and old workers' gumboots, things like that. And then thankfully the underneath that floor, there were holes everywhere in the concrete floor. How big? Uh, anywhere from like a 50-cent coin to like uh, as big as a dining room table. Really? Yeah, and so we... We end up pushing all the rubble down into these holes into the floor below, which is great because I think all houses should have like a hole where you can <laughs> sweep everything oh, into. Yeah. So, easy. so handy. That's great. Landfill. Yeah. Saves <laughs> 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 so us a lot of um, a lot of work. And then yeah, we called the owner because some of the locals realised what we were doing and was sort of like, well, oh, you should call the owner and see that what you're doing is okay. And we so we called him. He was in Hungary. Totally happy for us to do whatever we wanted with the building, hold an exhibition there, whatever. So that was great. We had to go ahead. Um, and then this was probably on a Monday and the following weekend was a sort of a brand-new festival trying to reinvigorate the area. Um, so we talked to the festival directors in there and sort of sort of tried to see how we could fix, fit in with the whole festival uh, program. Um which we didn't really fit in that well because we, we were a bit um, less mainstream, I guess. It was a very old traditional festival of like goulash eating competitions. and Oh, um, that's my dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as and arts and crafts and things, which was great, but it was sort of at the other end of town. But we got a huge amount of traffic through our installation because of that. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want me to go into the details of what the installation was and how we did it. but Yeah, I really, yeah? really okay. do. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we called it Null and Void basically because we felt that was how a lot of the locals that had been there for a while had felt a lot about the town in general, not only how they'd treated some of the buildings, sort of just, oh, yeah, just leave them there, let them fall down, there's no point. No point um, even salvaging the materials in, in these buildings. Um, and some of them had been used used by artists as ca- blank canvases by spray painting. And so it's quite a few, you know, people had visited them but they were all foreigners and no one in the local area is really interested in these buildings. Um, so we called it Null and Void to sort of, I don't know, try and show that it's not Null and Void because mm. we got huge amount of materials from all these buildings and place them in this one 
uh, water heating factory and rearrange them in a way I don't know that we thought was quite appealing. The installation <laughs> and, um, itself is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So all these council workers working with horses and carts mowing all the lawns around town for the festival that was coming up. Um, and they raked up huge piles of just grass clippings and things like that. And so we got them. I had a, I had a very um, interesting and comical discussion in Romanian in my broken, well, you know, I don't speak any Romanian. Anyway, <laughs> um, we got them to dump all the grass clippings at our front door of this water heating factory and we covered the whole floor in grass clippings. Um, which just completely changed the space. Mm-hmm. Um, the town has, yeah, maybe half a dozen or more um, carbonated springs coming out of the ground, um, just beautiful water and all the different mineral content. And we had a chat to the mayor and he gave us permission to pipe one of them into the building. And so we made like a little waterfall from one of the top floor uh, windows and uh-huh. coming down and um, we found a few old old um, what are they called sort of beds from the hospital and put them in as a seating and we found all these old lab coats that we turned into a huge swinging ball and covered it with foil I don't quite know why <laughs> um, found old murals hanging in the hospital brought that into the space when you look at the images that you have of the installation, it feels like a kind of utopia. Mm. So especially with the, um, you know, the way that the, the grass clippings are, it's like you're stepping into this, um, like a run-down utopia. Like it's, so it's something really yeah. pure and special um, about the experience, it would have been amazing to be in that space. Yeah, it was really special over the festival weekend when everything was like fresh and green and um, we had somewhat of an opening. We had a classical guitarist from nearby. He came in and played. He was only something like 16 or something. It was incredible um, music in the area. And then we had some poets uh, some Romanian poets and a German and an Italian do some readings uh, and myself. And then our, and we had a whole bunch of people turn up with their local liquor that they'd made and so that made a party. It was great. Um, what was it like? What was the liquor like? Mm-hmm. Oh, Palinka. Yeah, it's like um, I'm pretty sure you could run, run a car on it. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it. <laughs> but, the, yeah, the, the lovely thing was that the space got used again um, over the next couple of months as a um, place for creatives from about a three-hour radius to come and have like a weekend retreat and use the space. And um, they sent us a couple of photos and it was nice because they decided to rearrange the space to suit them. And, and that was really, I mean, yeah. that's fantastic. Like there's no. The installation continued on and changed. Yeah, and... I mean, it's, I have no idea what it looks like now. There's probably, um, you know, dogs and cats sleeping in the grass that's all brown now and stuff. But, um, and I had to take away the waterfall because, mm. but um, yeah, I don't know. It was, we just liked the idea to, to show people what you could do with the space. I mean, we only did it in about a week or less. Did, did the water pump into the hole? Yeah, that was the other <laughs> beauty of the holes. Yeah, just went underground and then came out like down the street somewhere. It was amazing. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> as you um, as you're talking about this experience in Romania, I'm really struck by the parallels between um, this this place in Romania and Queenstown. I know that that might seem like a stretch. Uh-huh. Um, but all of these, you know, we have all of these houses where there'll be um, someone who lives in a house and right next to it there's a house that's completely falling down and mm. totally unsafe. 
And then we have um, the artists that are mostly not local artists, but artists that are coming through from um, residencies like QBank. And, and now we've got all of this sort of street art all over Queenstown. It's, it's really interesting because it's beautiful, but it's also none of the locals are doing that. It's not, mm. um, even though there are a huge amount of artists here that live here, um, it's really interesting to see that. Um, not that it's a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, as you're talking, I'm thinking, oh wow, it sounds really familiar. Yeah, no, there's definitely parallels and I was thinking the same as I was talking. Um, yeah, it's re really cool. It's interesting um, to think about people really trying to reclaim these spaces now. Mm, it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. quite interesting. Uh, the thing I'm noticing about Queenstown, I'm sure it's kind of blasphemy, and, and this is a strong word to, but um, the idea of gentrification coming into this town. Um, oh, yeah. And it's going to happen, and it looks like it's already started, but it's hasn't quite got the um, Gen X, Ys, and Zs really coming into the town just yet. It's on. It's it's the art is held up by majority baby boomers and above. Yeah. So um, yeah, the day that you start to see not just young artists coming through QBank, but actually moving to the town mm. for what it is. And that's because it, it is a great little artist hub. There's so many galleries. There's it's a lot of wild. opportunity. It's also the community around mm. it. Everyone's willing to help you, yeah. which is phenomenal, which you don't get in Melbourne <laughs> unless you know somebody or you can do them a favour. Um, that's harsh. But, or, you know, you've got a carton of beer. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So... Um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in the next 10 years and see if it turns into that. It will be. It's really, it's, it feels a little bit scary. Um, gentrification is not necessarily a bad thing. It, it is a it complex can be great. thing yeah. to speak about. Mm. Um, it is difficult because you see, I've seen especially, and I think I've spoken about it before, but, um, the effect of that gentrification has had in Mullumbimby in New South Wales, mm. that it was in its heyday, you know, in the 70s, this incredible artist hub, this place where uh, housing was affordable. Um, there was a, everyone talks about what a great place it was. By the time I got there, there's a one main street and there's nine yoga studios, <laughs> every cafe is vegan, mm. everything, you can't get a cup of coffee for under like eight bucks, mm. you know, and you like what's happened and people that have lived there their entire lives have given so much to that space are being bought out of mm. the community. They can't afford to live there anymore. Mm. And so it's like, yes, we want, I, I think everyone wants Queenstown to thrive, mm. but God, it must be a balance there must be something in between yeah, selling everything yeah. and because then all of the stuff goes that community stuff that makes the place so special goes yeah. and what happens if people the, the land here has been so devastated already um i mm. do worry what um middle class white folk what more devastation they can do <laughs> i think what queenstown has going for it is that it's it's still wild and remote and it's still mm. quite far away from anywhere. It doesn't have the potential to grow exponentially sprawl-wise. You know, it'll have to consolidate and use those empty spaces. It's got to if it's, you know, if it is growing and people do want to come here. Um, and, I mean, and they will. I mean, they've, you know, they've secured $20 million to put in some more mm. tourist infrastructure for yeah, a local the, walk and things yeah, like that. The so there, there's going to be people coming in and, and the bike trails, yeah. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity for locals to get on top of that and, you know, guide the future of the town the way they want to. And, I agree, yeah. Yeah. Um, Take charge of it. it's tricky, yeah. yeah. It, mm. it can be a runaway train maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, Queenstown, so... So, so beautiful. It's such a beautiful place to live and um, the history is so dense and um, the, the people here are of hardy stock. 
Mm. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, they'll do what they want to do. Mm. I think it's a quite a misunderstood town. Mm, I, I, I had a different perception of it before I came here. And it's what was your perception? Oh, I mean, just what you kind of read about through kind of what it was as a mining town. Yeah. And the kind Some of, of how it's gone. Even f- dump you in a mine. How it's gone from 10,000 people down to 1,800 people. Mm. Um, it doesn't scream thriving community necessarily, but it is. Yeah. It really yeah. is. So it's really interesting to kind of kind of get a first-hand experience of what it is. Um, or at least how the media kind of portrays it. Yeah. So what are your, both of you, collaboratively and individually, your plans for the future, your projects and um, sniff? Mm. Do you know where you'll be going next year? Uh, Not really. Maybe you can start talking. I'll yeah, okay. About <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, I kind of looked into a few Victorian towns. Yeah. Um, I think oh, something yeah. we'll, uh, something I'd like to do is potentially, I mean, I'd like to come back to Queenstown. Queenstown's definitely somewhere I'd like to keep doing it, but maybe you do it every six months or something or every second year. But um, there's a couple of towns in northwest Victoria, just about an hour to two hours out of Melbourne. Um, I think something I'd like to do is kind of make it accessible for people out of town because Queenstown's not the most accessible place to get to unless you're driving through so I think, although that's great and it's giving something to a town and the community, I think having, um, I suppose, bringing, a, bringing, bringing people through the town that wouldn't normally come through. Mm. So um, I'd love to, there's a beautiful cinema in, uh, not Dalesford, what's the other one? The one next to it. Hepburn. No, not that one. Anyway, it's around that. It's around the Dalesford and um, Macedon and Woodend area. It's gorgeous area. It's a really beautiful area. Very similar landscape to Queenstown really? in a way. Um, but yeah, so I think something like that. But I mean, yeah, Sniff. I think we're gonna once it's all once the first year is done, dust. I think we'll take a step back and kind of go back to our own practices for a while, and then we can assess what to do mm. next. But um, as far as I suppose what I, I mean, I would like to move into the film industry. So that's eventually. So, I mean, I'd like to go and start directing and writing films. I mean, I've written a fair few scripts at this point. Really? Yeah. What sort of themes have you been writing on? Uh, Aliens. Aliens, yeah. I'm filming a short film. I was filming some stuff this morning for this short film I'm making in Queenstown at the church, just around the corner. The Anglican. Yeah, the Anglican just yeah. down there, so, uh, which Nat is also going to be starring in. Yeah. yeah. So multi-talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. actor, writer. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so film industry. But, I mean, the stuff that I write on, it's a big it's a big broad thing. So, I mean, I've written a, written a stop-motion animation that started doing with a friend. It'll take ages to produce, but that's because stop-motion takes ages to produce. Yeah. Um, and that one's kind of dark, twisted humour. It's it's very much just it depends on it's the it's yeah it's not for everyone but it's for but I the, think that the, it seems like that that is a little bit your humor though oh, absolutely yeah you know, so uh, you've yeah. got to go with absolutely yeah know. and then there's a few I've got a few other writing a piece about a young man who goes through um, I don't want to give too much away but who volunteers at a um, retirement home um, see that's it as well that's something that. We'll, we'll stop in a minute, but that's something we didn't get to talk about either was that um, I was thinking about Nat's um, interest in um, decaying spaces or um, spaces that have been left to their own devices and then bringing in lush green um, in null and void. And, but then your interest in the... Um, life and decaying of the human body mm. and the way that the body um, exists and when it's left to its own devices, what, it, what does mm. it do? Especially mm. in that um, that photo series, mm. uh, is it Ageing Disgracefully? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think there's a bit of that about it. I think I'm, uh, I'm partly interested in kind of decaying but I'm more interested in representation of who people are, so yeah. rep- how you represent yourself and how people think you're think of you or how they think of you and I know two people 
think the same thing of one person. I also love the absurd. So like some whack, there's some weird people out there. And so how can you portray them in a realistic manner, but also show that this is out of worldly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's beautiful. You can uh, describe someone as out of worldly and their behavior is out of worldly where in fact they're on the world they're and, they're, and they're operating in that way. And they're, yeah. you know, I guess it's, just how they fit into society or don't. Or, yeah, absolutely. Or how a community Embrace, embraces, embraces them. them yeah. that's, a, that's who they are. Do you think that there's a way for someone to truly, authentically represent themselves? If, the, if that representation is that a person shows up um, dressed in a certain way, speaking a certain way, behaving a certain way, and they believe that that is truly them, but that the, the the viewer of them has their own set of ideas and prejudices or whatever um, that they're coming to. Is it possible to even truly be seen as authentic and real? I think it can be really tough, actually. I don't think anything. I mean, I think it depends how deeply you want to read into these things as well, though, because... It's mind-boggling. It is because, I mean, I I mean, say I look at my close friends or I look at Nat and I know, I mean, because I've known Nat for so long, I feel like I know what's authentic to Nat. I don't, I don't, mm. I know Nat's a very authentic person. So I don't, I don't feel like there's any show ever with mm. someone like Nat because I know him and I've known him for 20 years and he is who he is. But say you know someone for 10 years and then they, in the clap of a hand, in the clap of a hand, what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, they you know, flick of the switch. Let's go with that. They, I don't um, know. I like clap. They clap yeah. the clap of the hands. So yeah, how, let's get it started. They um, they start doing something differently. It's mm. it, it it changes your impression of them because you don't think that that's authentically them. But that could be authentically mm. them. You just don't know what they're authentic if they were authentic for the first ten in years. The first, place, yeah. in the first place. <laughs> so I think it's a tough thing. It's like because my representation or well, my understanding of what I think of somebody who wears a suit and a tie on a on a Saturday afternoon when business is closed for operation. Okay, that's who you are. But, I mean, it's a different interpretation to someone who doesn't have it. So, yeah. yeah. No, no. It's, it's a really interesting thing to try to break down and understand. Because, mm. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think we're all just truly striving for um, authentic connection, even if the connection is... Um, is horrible. Um, we just want to understand and be understood. And when there are so many other things at play that can twist and warp that understanding, mm. trying to get something concrete, yeah, it's really interesting. Mm. It's a, yeah, it's, I think it's something that everyone struggles with. I mean, isn't that the purpose of like the midlife crisis? The quarter life crisis. Yeah, being a midlife crisis. <laughs> Am I not? I had my I had my crisis at 21, 22, oh. So I got out of that. So I'm I'm you good. You should be fine. I'm, I'm, I think I'm good now. I think. I mean, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, it depends who you are. Like you're a different person around certain people because you depends who you're comfortable with and the way you can interact with somebody. Like, yeah. Comfort is hard to achieve. I'll, you know, I'll sit next to Nat and fart, and then I'll sit next to you. I won't fart. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this has been really good. Thank you. It's okay. <laughs> um, where can people find you in the world? You have social media. We do have social media. <laughs> social media is something I hate. So much. Um, I hate social media. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. I. <laughs> Yeah, just, I mean, it's useful having an Instagram because people want to see things that you've done, so you just send them there. Um, so I do have an Instagram, Fruitcake Rocket Paint. Um, <laughs> that's there. It's just pictures, really. I don't don't engage too well with the hashtag movement. Um, <laughs> but, uh, well, what's the right one anyway? I don't. Yeah, I, I found out it doesn't do anything. It, it doesn't. I read an article. It doesn't do anything for anything. It's, yeah, right. it's hashtags. Fuck oh. hashtags. Hashtag fuck hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then sniff. Well, sniff's just on Facebook at the moment, and we have a our Instagrams all. 
Oh, and and there we go. I'll let Ollie talk about social media because that's um, actually something when we when we first decided on this project, <laughs> I just said to Ollie, um, "Let's do it. That's great, but I don't want to have anything to do with the marketing and the social media stuff." Oh. So it's all on Ollie, and I'm seeing the things he has to do, and I'm like, "Oh." I've got to help out a little bit, but oh, I'm not no, being very honestly, helpful. I'm the same way. When we started doing this project, um, I got in contact with a friend of mine, Tess, who um, majored in um, music journalism. Journalism, um, Anyway, she's amazing. She's amazing. And I'm like, I just really need to not do the social media part. Mm. If I could just mm. get a grant and pay you mm. to do all of that, I would Perfect. be stoked. Mm. No, I hear that. I mean, you get to a point. The moment we can hire someone to do our marketing and advertising, if mm. we ever get to that point, it's for they can have it. Yeah. <laughs> We're hiring. <laughs> well, you could just call it an internship. Don't internship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, people deserve to be paid what they're worth and marketing's not a fun job, so... Paying what they're worth. Mm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I suppose where you can find you on Instagram or that's about it really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so Sniff on Instagram. Instagram on Facebook. Can, um, what about you? Uh, for a website, you can find me. All of them will. Oh, you have a website. Yeah, You've done de- it. It's in, it's in development. It'll be done in the next couple of – it'll be done before this podcast comes out. Nice. So oh, that's awesome. a good way. I don't know what the domain is but just – You'll be able to find me somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I'm on Instagram as Warden's World Tour. Nice. Um, yeah, that's where to find me. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having us. Because it was mostly pain-free. Yeah. It was pain-free. It was good. Yeah. Cool. cool. This was Local. The podcast is produced by Carter Pierce and myself. Digital media is produced by Tess Gilfeder. Our artwork was made by Gigi Gortz. The podcast is funded in part by the Regional Arts Fund and the Unconformity Festival. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, um... For more information on the podcast and its guests, please go to localthepodcast.com or localthepodcast on Facebook and Instagram.